a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome in, Ute fans. This is the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's always powered by KSLSports.com. I'm your host, Trevor Allen. As we are one game in now, Utah finally played a football game in 2020. It only took 326 days, but it happened. Unfortunately, Utah fell to the USC Trojans 33-17 to at Rice-Eccles Stadium in a game that was filled with turnovers. There was a lot of challenges that came up, but... A lot of positive things to take from it, and we will talk about all of that coming up here on the program. Have a lot to get to, but first, you guys download the uh, KSL Sports app. That's where you'll get the latest content regarding the Utes. You can also check out the Crimson Corner podcast. Everything that you need right at your fingertips. So uh, download the KSL Sports app wherever you get your apps. And then also follow me on Twitter at Trevor A. Sports or at KSL Sports on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now, I will say, just to start off things by you know talking about the game, I was one of the fortunate ones that was allowed to attend the game at Rice-Eccles Stadium, and I will tell you, it was so weird being around the stadium. You know, seeing it basically empty, parents... And family members of the coaches and players weren't even allowed to attend the game. And so it was just strange. I mean, seeing the cardboard cutouts in the in the north end zone and then seeing all the construction in the south end zone, it was just strange. And I know for a fact that Utah players missed you, the Utah fans, at the game. But it was just really weird. I mean, it took a little bit to even realize that fans were not there. And, and you know, hearing the... Uh, ambient crowd noise that was piped into the stadium it was really strange but it's better than not having football I will say that and I'm sure a lot of fans would agree with that so first things first um, Utah started out um, it was actually pretty positive you know uh, obviously the first drive when uh, Cam Rising came in as the uh, starting quarterback um, it didn't look great I mean the Utes went three and out and then after that um, things started looking, you know, better. And Utah was able to get a field goal to uh, strike first. And then after that, that was when things started getting a little sloppy. Cam Rising threw a, a ball. He, he was trying to lob it over a USC defender to try and get it into the hands of, of one of the receivers. And, and USC picked it off. It probably wasn't a great choice by Cam. And then of what happened after that, Cam Rising was sacked. And uh, fumbled the ball, 
And as he was reaching for the ball as it was on the ground, he suffered an injury, and it looks like it was a shoulder injury. He did not return. So Jake Bentley uh, came in and, and played the rest of the way. But Utah had five turnovers, given one of them was a, a, a Hail Mary at the very end of the game. So really four turnovers. So I'm going to get into the negative stuff first just to get it out of the way, and then we'll get into the positives. And then I'm going to give you guys five players who stood out in that season-opening victory and just looking at some of the things that, I mean, there was a lot of positive. I mean, going into the game, Utah had all the makings of firing on offense because they had so many veterans back and had so many weapons on offense. tell you a couple of things. One, the offensive line did not look good. They weren't able to protect the quarterback. Utah couldn't really get much of a run game going, and they just weren't physical. And I'm, I'm not saying that they were soft or anything. They just didn't have that physical edge that Utah football offensive linemen and, and defensive linemen, for that matter, have. And I was very impressed with, with Utah's D-line. I mean, they were full of talent, but they went deep, and, and a lot of those guys who weren't projected as starters came in and played really well. But the O-line, I mean, for one, uh, who, who started the game, um, Nick Ford at left tackle, Keaton Bills started at left guard, Orlando Umana at center, Sautoa Lamea started at right guard, and Jaron Kump, the freshman, started at right tackle. But you saw multiple times Cam Rising and Jake Bentley getting flushed out of the pocket, getting pressured, and they couldn't really have much they didn't really have much time to find the open receivers. And that was a problem. I mean, the fumble alone was just off of a really poor block attempt. And that was where Rising didn't even have a chance to, to get rid of the ball or to get out. And USC took over within Utah's 10-yard line. They had very prime field position. They uh, took advantage of that as Malapai uh, ran in a two-yard touchdown. And then another thing, and Kyle Whittingham mentioned this after the game, Brant Keithy, he needs to get the ball in his hands more. I mean, in the game... He had, he had four catches for 23 yards and didn't even run the ball. And it was actually towards the end where he was starting to get involved. So that's problem number one. Number two, they also didn't have uh, Britton Covey. He went out and warmed up, and he was even in his uniform on the uh, sideline but didn't play in the game, which I think hurt Utah because we know what he can bring to the table. So the first couple of things was got to get – Brant Keithy the ball more, and the offensive line has got to be more physical. That was one of the most experienced and talented positions coming into the season, and it just did not show. Hopefully, Jim Harding, and I, I know he's very capable of doing this. He's, he's a great offensive line coach. He's going to get his guys together. They're going to watch film, and they're, they're going to turn that thing around. And, and I, I believe that by Utah's next game, they'll be firing on all cylinders. And then some of the positive. I thought Utah's defense was outstanding. Going into the game, reading tweets from fans and from other media members, that was one of the things that, that they were really hesitant about was, was Utah's defense. And as they should. I mean, only two starters are back, and you have a whole new secondary, and you're going up against an air raid offense where they constantly throw the ball, and, and you would think that, that they would test Utah's secondary because of how young they were. USC didn't do that. They did not take shots down the field as much as I thought they would. 
because normally coaches who see that the entire secondary has zero combined starts that they would take shots down the field and really test that secondary, and they didn't. But there was some great tackling, great coverages, and, you know, Morgan Scalley's changed things up a little bit. They went more zone coverage throughout the game and and actually had three three safeties rather than, you know, a, a nickel and two corners. They had two corners and three safeties. So they moved Nephi Sewell, and I'll get to him here in a minute, to safety to join Vontae Davis and Nate Ritchie. And you didn't see much of Malone Mataele at nickelback because of Drake London and how big he is. He's kind of that hybrid wide receiver tight end type where you had to, you know, account for him and you got to have a bigger body. And that's what Nephi Sewell brings. And he used to play safety. So it was, it was probably easier for him. And that was where Sione Fotu came in the freshman out of Bingham. He came in to play alongside Devin Lloyd at that other linebacker spot, and he actually played well. So all in all, I think that there were times where Utah's defensive line didn't get a pass rush on Keaton Slovis, but I was really impressed with the linebackers, and I was really impressed with Utah's secondary. And at times, I was very impressed with Utah's D-line. It just means that the future is so bright for this defense to where are we even talking about in a matter of two years, this defense being better than 2019, and that really says something if we're even talking about that at this point. Really, really looking forward to watching this Utah defense moving forward. Now, I want to give you guys five players who stood out to me as I went back and watched the game and also seeing it live. First one is Ty Jordan, the freshman. Kyle Whittingham knew he was going to be a big part of Utah's running game. I mean, they used four running backs, and all of them got carries, at least one carry. But Ty Jordan had the most yards, only by two, but he had seven carries for 32 yards. And they used him more in that jet sweep type of runs and really having him motion out of the backfield and really trying to get creative with how they used him. And, you know, just seeing him in person now, he is a big, physical, fast running back. And so it was really promising to see what what he can do. He also had a catch for 21 yards. And then another uh, standout was Nephi Sewell. I mean, he he was all over the place. Maybe you want to wonder if you want to put him back at safety. I mean, honestly, but um, hopefully he's able to make the same amount of plays when he moves back to linebacker for the rest of the season. But Sewell had a great game. He finished second in tackles with 10 total. He had four solo, six assisted, two tackles for loss, one fumble recovery, which he, he took to the house, and that was Utah's first touchdown of the 2020 season. And he also had a pick as, as USC was in the red zone, and he stopped him from even getting a field goal, so that was huge. I think that this could be a big year for Sewell, and we just saw glimpses of it on Saturday, and hopefully he can keep things going. And then another one is Clark Phillips, the freshman. I thought he was outstanding in his first start. I know that he, he gave up the one touchdown, but it happens. You're a freshman in your first game and your and in your first challenge is oh by the way, you're going up against two NFL caliber wide receivers. I mean, it would have been better for Clark and also, frankly for for this whole secondary to go up against Arizona and also the UCLA Bruins first before USC. But you know, take whatever life gives you. 
and I thought Clark did a great job. He had nine total tackles, and they were all solo. He also had a, a, a tackle for loss and could have had a, a pick six on one of the plays. He just barely missed. It was when one of the USC receivers went on an out route, and, and he almost jumped it and just barely missed it. If, if he would have caught it probably another second earlier, he would have been gone, and that would have been a second touchdown on defense for Utah and probably a big swing as far as the momentum went. But really, really impressed for him to be challenged to go up against Tyler Vaughns and Amon Ross St. Brown. I thought he did a great job. Another one on the offensive side of the ball is Solomon Enos. We knew coming into the season that he was projected to have a big year. He was a highly touted recruit coming out of Arizona and coming into his junior year. We didn't really get a huge glimpse of what he could do throughout his first two years. He just wasn't targeted enough. He made some big catches. I mean, he only had three of them for 42 yards, but he made a really great catch on on a fourth down to keep one of the drives alive. It ended up being turnover on downs later, but it was it was a big fourth and five, and he was able to catch it as he was getting pushed out of bounds. And so I just saw some great things from Solo, and I, I think it could be a very big year for him as soon as the offense can get things rolling. And then one that I actually thought was really good coming in as a backup is BYU transfer Devin Kafusi. Now, Devin had three tackles, two solo and one assisted, but he also had a, a tackle for loss and a pass breakup. He used his giant size and frame to bat down a ball as he, as he was rushing Keaton Slovis. I think that that's going to be one of his strengths is to be able to get pass breakups and to be able to knock down the ball as he's rushing. And Kyle Whittingham said that he has a very high ceiling because coming out of BYU, he wasn't used a bunch. And Utah is very young on the edges, and you can also use him at, at tackle at times, putting him at least under the inside of the D-line and going up against guards and centers. But I thought Devin Kafusi had a very solid debut in a Utah uniform. Now, what is next for the Utes? It's a big question mark because they moved Utah's game against the Sun Devils from Saturday to Sunday. They don't have a kickoff time or broadcast info yet, and I think a lot of that is to give ASU time to get guys back because keep in mind, they've actually been out the last two weeks due to an outbreak of COVID-19 cases among their program. And we know Utah was out for two weeks, so you're thinking, you know, Sun Devils should be okay and that the Utes should be able to make the trip down to Tempe. But there is a good thing here. If Arizona State can't play, and I think one of the reasons why they moved the game to Sunday is because I think they're right on the fence of getting guys back. Again, I'm, I'm just reading into it. I'm not, you know, it's just a guess based off what the conference is doing. And the, the uh, Apple Cup between Washington and Washington State has been canceled. I think that we'll know by Thursday if Arizona State can play, and if they can't, Utah and Washington will then play. And that, that game would then be played on Sunday. Now, where would the game be played? Because Washington was supposed to be at Washington State, and Utah was supposed to be at Arizona State. So how do you look at that? Well, for me, the way I would look at it, but again, I'm not Larry Scott, nor do I want to be, frankly, is I would say, okay, Washington has played two games. Both have been at home. Utah has only played one game, given it was at home. But Utah lost a home game, and that was their season opener against the Wildcats. So to make things even, you just do that. But another option is you just flip a coin. I mean, if it works for 
you know, finding out who gets the ball first and all that. It could work for a site, especially when you don't have fans. If it was something that was on the line where you were going to get revenue from fans to be at, at your stadium, you would definitely look at it more. But in this case, it's just who has to travel. Because if you look at Utah's schedule, they have one more home game. Keep in mind, though, we don't know what will happen with that seventh week because we have to see how the Pac-12 standings play out. But Utah has one more home game against Oregon State on December 5th. And then they have road games at Colorado and at Arizona State. Now, where does Washington stand? They've only had one game canceled, and that was a road game. And then they played Oregon State and Arizona at home. And then they had one more home game against Stanford. So I think it would make sense to have the game in Salt Lake City because Washington's already had two home games, and Utah's only had one. But again, it's 2020. Nothing makes sense, nor will it be until the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve and we go to 2021, hopefully. But just to kind of break down really quick on Utah's game against the uh, Trojans, each team had 17 first downs. Uh, Utah had 111 rushing yards, held USC to 93 rushing yards. That was another positive for Utah's defense and their D-line. Passing for a team that averaged 350 passing yards a game, Utah held them to 264, given Utah only had 216 passing yards. And in total offense, Utah had 327, USC had 357. And... USC was in the red zone six times and converted five times, three touchdowns, two field goals. Utah was two of three in the red zone, one touchdown and one field goal. And each team had three sacks. The uh, Trojans had 10 points off of turnovers. Utah had seven. So I'd say all in all, it was a decent first game for a team that hadn't played yet in 2020. And with a young team, I thought played really well. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner Podcast. Make sure you guys check out kslsports.com. Follow us on our social platforms as we're going to keep you updated throughout the week as to what happens with Utah. Will they play the Sun Devils or will they play the Huskies? It'll be an interesting week. To me, as long as Utah plays a game, it doesn't matter to me because they can't afford to have another game canceled on them. They just can't. And hopefully no other Pac-12 games are canceled if Utah and ASU can't play. Because right now, Washington's sitting there waiting. And if another Pac-12 game gets canceled before the Arizona State game gets canceled, then Utah is technically screwed out of a game. But from what I've been seeing on Twitter, Washington is preparing for Utah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But we do know the game's on Sunday. We don't know kickoff time or broadcast information yet. My guess is that it'll be Sunday morning because that's what the Cal game against UCLA was when they had that game made happen in that first week, or excuse me, second week, and it happened on 72 hours' notice. It was a 10 a.m. Mountain Time kickoff, so we'll see what happens. But again, just just make sure you follow us on all the social platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's always powered by kslsports.com. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. 
they pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.